Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I had to go into prison to do life. I was sentenced to 15 to life in 2002, and I went in, and um, at that point I got my life saved. I got saved and baptized, and um, I went into prison. I was still um, had suicide thoughts, you know, and then I went straight to the church because I knew that they had told me God loved me, and he had, I experienced his love. That is the voice of Edith Perlin, who has a remarkable story of hope and courage in how she is now using her past to help others have a future. Welcome to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was Derek. a golden boy. And all we can do right now is come Extreme together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. Hey, it's so good to have you on Life Support. What we do in this podcast is we like to tell stories. We like to uh, talk about difficult things of life and how Jesus enters into those spaces and can really change people. And we're excited to share stories with you. And we have a great story to share today. Uh, My guest is Edith Perlin. And Edith has quite a story to tell, a story of redemption and amazing story of what she's doing right now. And Edith, it's so good to have you here. Thank you for coming by. Thank you. So um, where does your story begin? You've got, um, you know, this thing going now called Edith's House. We want to make sure we talk a lot about that. But um, did you grow up in this area, in the Twin Cities? No, I grew up in uh, the projects in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. And so tell me, take me from there. How did your life begin to transpire from there? Well, I grew up in a dysfunctional um, childhood. Um, and um, as I grew, my life spiraled downhill. My mother was an alcoholic. My dad was a drug addict. And church wasn't talked about in my household. So by the time I became a teenager, um, I got pregnant at 16. I was ashamed in high school, and I dropped out. Um, and um, at that point, um, I started drinking and doing drugs, and my life spiraled out of control. By the time I was 30, no, 31, I was. I had three children. The system had taken them, and um, child protection, and I was facing life in prison. Wow. Wow. So you were in one of those places where uh, it looked hopeless. Yeah. Like, how do you get out from under that, right? You must have been thinking. I had some suicide moments. Yeah. And um, I had to go to prison. Mm -hmm. So... You were only in your uh, 30, 31 years old, young, still a young woman. Um, what did it feel like to be looking at um, a lifetime in prison? Well, uh, first of all, I didn't have no knowledge of God's love for me. I actually thought that people in the Bible were perfect and that I had messed up and that he was mad at me. And so um, I... Um, that's what had drove me to want to just kill myself, you know. And then mm-hmm. um, I remember a sponsor from 
Narcotics Anonymous. It eat up, you know, the disciples go in and out of jail all the time. You need to read your Bible. And I read my Bible, and when I discovered that God loved me, and he wasn't mad at me, God, I dived in with both feet. Wow. And then what happened? And I had um, I, I, I had to go into prison to do life. I was sentenced to 15 to life in 2002, and I went in, and um, at that point I got my life saved. I got saved and baptized, and um, I went into prison. I was still um, had suicide thoughts, you know, and then I went straight to the church because I knew that they had told me God loved me, and he had, I ex- experienced his love waiting and um, waiting to go in. And when I went in and went into the church, he kind of raised me, I would say, in prison. I did 13 and a half years in federal prison. Mm-hmm. So did you come to uh, know him through a prison ministry? Is that how you started to read your Bible? Yes, I was uh, in the church, and um, during the Bible studies, I hung with the Christians. And... Um, and um, I, I would say that um, I started experiencing um, God's love through other people, them showing me I wanted to lead and didn't even know how to follow. So I was getting on everybody's nerve at the beginning, a baby in Christ. Mm-hmm. And, um, and but that's uh, kind of a wonderful <laughs> stage, too, though, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But nevertheless, I learned how to love unlovely people mm-hmm. in federal prison, people from all over the world. And that was the uh, the best thing that um, I that was the best thing that could have ever happened to me in prison is learning how to love God's way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell you know the, the vast majority of people listening would not really be able to identify what it's like to be in prison. Um, so it's difficult for them to have empathy for what it's like to be there. Um, just describe briefly, you know what it's like to be in a place like that for an extended period of time. What does that do okay. to you as a person? So uh, you learn to live on two blocks. I lived in two block range for 13 and a half years. Um, I lived, we had to, I, I lived in a room with three other women and we had to walk sideways to get by. It was that small. Mm-hmm. And, um, I work 40 hours a week, a week, um, making $5.75 a month. Wow. So I've learned, I learned how to enjoy the simple things of life. Yeah. Um, everything was aligned. Everything was waiting. And um, believe it or not, I was in there during the Obama era, and uh, it was really bad. Um, um, him being black and president, mm-hmm. and we kind of felt it, you know. Yeah. Everybody that shoveled snow was black right. in the February month. So. Right. It was just horrible. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a horrible experience, but I remember the peace that I could get if I just kept reading my Bible mm-hmm. and talking to the Lord. Wow, that's really neat. So here you are now. You're, you're, um, you're 13 and a half years, and it came time to be released. Right. And what was that like to have to try to uh, make the transition from all those years in two blocks, as you put it, Mm -hmm. into real life? How hard was that? 
So I remember when I got out, uh, I was afraid. I remember the fear that overtook me, and um, um, it, it was so noisy. It just seemed like it was the world was too big. I was not ready. Um, I remember my probation officer saying, either just take as much time as you need to find a job. And then when I my first bus ride, I remember seeing everybody looking at their phone, and I'm thinking, nobody's looking up. The cell phones wasn't in when I went in. Yeah. And everybody was looking at their phones. It was a train going down the middle of the streets, and it was just horrible for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I got I was afraid. I remember the fear. Mm-hmm. More with Pastor Paul and Edith in a moment. You know, Edith talks about her time of incarceration and homelessness and how she's now giving back. If you've lost hope or know of someone who is struggling, please direct them to free resources for mental health, loss, and recovery. The site is lifesupportresources.org. That's lifesupportresources.org. And now back to the conversation with Edith and Pastor Paul. So you're all by yourself. Yes. Trying um, to make a way. I, I had a choice to go to my family's house, but at that point, um, when I went in, I didn't have anybody in my family in church. Everybody was drugging and drinking and partying. And so I wasn't, I was afraid to go to my family's because I didn't know what to expect. So I, I went to the halfway house mm-hmm. and um, I had to find my way. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the flyers on the wall and everything. And um, I just kind of had to find my way. So I went to church, went back to the church. I ran to the church. And um, How did you find a church? How did you decide where to go to church? Well, there was a church that baptized me before I went I in. I see. So you already had those contacts at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I went, I actually cut everybody off when I went in because I thought I was going to do life. Mm-hmm. And then um, I found that church and went back to that church. And uh, and I told them that actually when I went in, it was probably one homeless person per city on a corner. And when I got out, it was a homeless person on every corner in every city. Mm-hmm. And so I was, um, when I seen the, the extreme volume of homeless people, I was really, really sad to see that. And I talked to my pastor. I said, I really want to help the homeless people. God had gave me the heart for them mm-hmm. right away when I seen them. And he announced it on the microphone and um, in church that I wanted to help the homeless. And they kind of came after me after the service and said, hey, <laughs> let's sit down and have coffee and talk mm-hmm. about what you want. And mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's pretty kinda, neat. Yeah. Um because the world, yeah, you were, that was a very much of a transitional time, too. There were a lot of things changing uh, in America and in our cities during that time you were, you were in prison. And then you come out and, wow, brave, a brave new world faced you. And that's got to be very, very, like, having never experienced that, that must be um, not only uh, terrifying because you're by yourself and you have to figure out what you're going to do next, but how do I navigate this strange world, right? I mean, it must have just seemed like a foreign foreign country. Yeah. And uh, I thank the Lord for the church because I, I ran to the church because, um, one, I didn't want to 
go back to the same thing I had just came from. Yeah. And um and what God where God brought me from, you know, and um and I went to the church and they were white. I was the only black person at that church. Mm-hmm. And I knew that they probably didn't know a lot about where I came from and different things like that, but it was a, a more quiet. They had this love this like overwhelming love to help me get on my feet. So that was very helpful. And then I went back to some of the resources um, that helped me get started before, you know, get, get to turn myself in some of the ones that helped me at the beginning. Right. So, yeah. So um, we think about prison. We think a lot about men in prison. Um, You know, there's a lot of movies with, uh, you know, um, men in prison escaping and prison life for men, but we don't always think of women that are in prison. Um, what kinds of things did you face from society, um, how they felt about you or how they saw you as you tried to get your life back together and move forward? Um, so, yeah, um, my felony right away. Um, I couldn't get um, a job right away. Um, I couldn't get into housing. Because every application you fill out, you have to answer that question, right? Yep. Are you a felon? And Mm -hmm. um, at some point in there, this last, I believe, 10, 10, 12 years, that was taken out through the the whole um, government thing, that Mm -hmm. that question. But, yeah, when I got out, it was um, horribly hard to to get a job and um, to get housing and to even— get help mm-hmm. it just wasn't it wasn't a good era when i got out mm-hmm. and um so like i say i went and um i was determined not to do food stamps anymore and um i wanted to pay taxes those were two things that that that's taxes was a really big thing for me i've never paid taxes and i want to pay taxes and um uh, and so i i settled for well, you're um, living in the right state <laughs> To pay yeah. taxes. I know, right? Yeah. Minnesota. <laughs> and so, yeah, my, my brother helped me get a car, helped me get my license back, and he helped me get a car. And um, I applied for Uber, and I slipped through the cracks with my background, and they hired me. So Is that right? I was able to make earn a living with Uber for about a year and a half. Good for you. So that was just like uh, determination. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had a lot of inner drive going there. I'm going to make something of myself, huh? Yep, and you know what? And and more than anything, I wanted to help the homeless people. So the Uber was good because I could work at my own pace. I and uh, So I was still able to go out and pray for them and ask them what happened. You know, that was as much as I knew how to do at right. that point. Yeah. Right, and this was in Chicago still. No, this is this here, was here now. How did you end up uh, going from Chicago to the Twin Cities? Okay, so I... Um, I was um, a rape victim, okay, and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, I um, I was running from domestic violence, mm-hmm. and I was pregnant um, from a rape, and uh, and I didn't want him to find out it wasn't his uh, his daughter, so I left and came to Minnesota, and that was in 1990. So I've been here since 1990. So okay, yeah. So that was um, that was by necessity, but God obviously had a purpose yeah. in you being here, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, 
when I look back over my life, if it had not been for the Lord, he was with me the whole time. Yeah. But there was quite a few times I had overdosed before on drugs. And, I mean, I've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lord has kept me, and now he's He's sent me back to where he brought me from. Yeah. Well, I wish people. the I wish the people that are that are listening on the radio could could see you because you have a wonderful smile and you have obviously been reborn and and um, are, are full of joy. And now you have this thing called Edith's House. So tell me what that's all about. Okay. So the church that I told you um, announced it in 2017 that I wanted to help the homeless people. By 2019, they decided to get a 501c3. I had told them, I said, let's just call it Edith's house. And um, we got a 501c3, and um, we did a fundraiser, and we bought a house. And um, I got my first paycheck in 2020. Wow, not very long ago. Yeah. Just right and right about COVID, right yeah, about the right. pandemic, COVID, right? The pandemic hit right in the middle of the, the year. Yeah. And um well actually the George Floyd kind of came in oh, the yes. middle of the year. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah. And um and so um we um I don't know, we got the county funding now. The mm-hmm. house is paid off now and um I've housed hundreds of people. Um what kind of people? Who are you, who are you helping with that? Um, individuals and families experiencing homelessness. I see. In this past year, I've watched over eighteen people get saved and baptized. Wow! How about from that? that community? Yeah. Wow, good for you. That's amazing. Yep. That's really exciting. Congratulations. Yep, and the county gave us funding. Started in October of 2022. Uh, they gave us 150 thousand to hire a staff and house 18 people, and I've already housed 26 in this March of 23. Isn't that good? Yeah, that's really good. I so know. You have a lot going on. <laughs> you have a lot going on, but that's really cool. So homelessness in America right now just seems to be a terrible epidemic. Um, how How is, I mean, I know how you're coping with homelessness. You're trying to do your part, and you are. But how is society going to deal with this problem, do you think? Because it doesn't seem to be going away anytime soon. Well, um, like you say, shelter is a high demand. Mm-hmm. And um, the only thing I can say to that um, is that we just have to keep trying to get the funding that it needs. we need to house people. The landlords are opening up their doors more. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're renting rooms instead of the whole house, and they're just opening up. Uh, they need to build more, you know, and focus more on the need, housing first. Right. You know what I mean? It's yeah. a housing first. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in a, in a place like uh, here in the northern part of the states. It's cold here, and it's cold a lot here. So I can imagine there's a tremendous need for people just to be in a safe place. Yeah, during the pandemic, a lot of people died out there because they shut off the libraries where they hung out during the day and and some oh, right. of the spaces. Everything was closed down. Everything. Yeah. 
and they died. They were just finding them dead hmm. under the bridge, on the bus stop benches. A lot of people died. Yeah. And so, yeah, shelter is a high demand, and it is, it's become a burden for me. But, yeah, you know, I'm always in the presence of the Lord to try to help me to. Right. Well, these are all people made in the image of God. They're all valuable to God. Yes. And maybe society has a level of value somehow that we've placed on people. But for God, everybody is valuable because he created them. And so it's tragic to hear stories like that, that people were left on, left out and just left to to die on their own many times, I'm sure. And um, I'm glad that you're at least helping the best you can. You're only one person, but you're doing a lot already. Yeah. Um, what What are some of your goals for the future? What would you like to do more of with uh, with what you're doing right now? Okay, so we had a fundraiser this past October. And um, we wanted to raise 99000 to pay off the house. And uh, we wound up raising one ninety four, $194,000. So we paid off the house, hired a staff. And right now, a month ago, we were at the table with um, 40 unit that one of the board members had drew up. And uh, we want to try to um, pray and believe God for the 40 unit. And uh, we wanted to have a... I've thought that a community space at the bottom where people can have narcotic anonymous meetings, Bible studies, mm-hmm. uh, talk to their psychiatrists, psychologists, you know what I mean, parole yep. officers, yep. a space where they can have at the bottom, you know, a community. Yeah. And so that's the vision. The next vision um, for Eater's House is to uh, get a bigger space, more beds, and house people, more people. So here here I'm talking to a person that at one point in your life you're uh you're young, you're you're headed to prison, um and now you're you're talking about visions and plans and <laughs> dealing with a board and I mean, wow, what a what a story of redemption you are. Does that ever strike you sometimes <laughs> uh, when you just think about how far you've come? Oh my God! Yes, because this so the prison part is just a small surface yeah. of my. I've been homeless. I've been strung out on drugs. I flee domestic violence. I mean, the list goes on. Child protection raised my children. I mean, I have a story, and so, and that's the good thing because I can share my story with the broken people in the world and and share God's love and His story. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's what it means. It's priceless. Right? Yeah, that's right. Because people can talk about not believing the Bible, and they can talk about their own religious views. But one thing they cannot they cannot disown is your testimony. Your testimony is your testimony, and it's real. And God did real things. And so, that, uh, just keep sharing with as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. And it gives you a tremendous amount of credibility with the people you're trying to minister to, right? Because they know you've been there. Yes. And yeah. I bet you've had a few people that have looked at you and said, "How did you get out of this?" And you're <laughs> and you're able to tell them about Christ and and how He changed your life. Well, yeah. After I think I did 16 treatments, and um, I couldn't figure out how to stay stopped. And it was until I gave my life to Jesus, it changed forever. Isn't yeah. that good? Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, um, we're going to be right around Easter, and um, the resurrection of Christ changed everything, didn't it? 
Yes. And um, we can look at that and we see our own lives changed by him as well. Um, so how can someone find out more information about what you're doing at Edith's house and, and donate if they would like to? So you go to www.edithshouse.org and uh, our website will come up and it will instruct you how to donate and volunteer and whatever else you want to know about it. Fantastic. Edith, thank you so much for coming by and sharing your story. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. You're welcome. It's a wonderful story. And, you know, I was thinking um, as we were talking about how much Edith loves these people um, that she, she's working with. In First John 4.19, the Bible says, We love because he first loved us. And her story speaks to that love of God. And you may be in a situation right now that, you know, you may not be able to relate to some of the things Edith is saying, or maybe you can, but you might be in a spot where you're thinking, there's no hope for me. Uh, maybe you think that no one loves you or that the situation you're trapped in it can never change. But if you listen to Edith's story, you can hear that uh, lives do change. And the reason that we can love others is because Jesus showed that love to us first. And those who walk with Jesus have the love of Christ in them. And, and we're grateful every day that we have been somehow um, rescued by God from who we once were and who we would be again without him. So please take that seriously. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. It's a great verse. And I want to thank um, our, our partners that make this possible. Um, we can watch a video version of this at fivestonemedia.com. You can also check out our wonderful partner who gives us this forum at Faith Radio at myfaithradio.com. And we'd love to have you check out Ridgewood Church as well at myrwc.org. Thank you so much for listening to Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, Subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support.